0: I I did tell myself I had to slow down okay but also part of the healing process that I have to have inner inner happiness and nothing makes me more happy than the hospitality industry and I define the hospitality industry Anthony as I've chosen this career I'm here to serve you.
1: This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast I'm Anthony Huckstep. Everyone at some stage in their life experiences adversity, trauma, and monumental challenges. How we react to them and how they impact our lives is different for everyone. How do you take those challenges head on and turn your life around in a positive direction? Adriano Matteoni is a renowned cafe operator, opening over 15 cafes and even more over his career. Adriano, how are you? Very well, Anthony. It's nice to
0: nice to chat, nice to be on here to tell
1: my story. It's great to get you on the show. You've um, done so many things in your career and I think a lot of people might not even know all of the different venues that they've eaten in that you've had your hands on. Um, but where are you at the moment? Yeah, I don't think people would know sort of early
0: on so under the radar a little um, when sort of Instagram wasn't around Facebook wasn't around and it's probably the way I liked it Um, not growing up in Sydney so I didn't have a big network there so you know so yeah definitely people wouldn't have wouldn't have heard of me Really, just the, just sort of baristas that were around at that time, who have probably gone on to open up things and and, and are still around today. But uh, not many people would have heard the name Adriano Matteoni. <laughs> <laughs> where
1: where about are you these days?
0: So I'm actually I I, I right I'm speaking to you from Korea. It's just a little holiday we're having. I'm I'm sort of trying to base myself between Japan, and potentially back in scotland um i to give you a quick overview of my movements from from, from from which we'll get into but from 2000 i arrived in sydney and left in 2012 to japan for five years and then from japan i went to scotland um because a kind of business that I was doing in, in Sydney which we'll talk about sort of after the GFC just there wasn't a resale market um, so I, I, I went to went to Scotland did a few things over there and uh, and then we actually came back I see my partner and I came back to have our baby boy born in Sydney um, just last year and we lasted only about ten months Um Just because of the way the hospitality industry has gone, which again we'll talk about in detail, um, I just didn't see a niche for me being there. So I have a relationship with Japan. I have a daughter that's living in Japan. So I'm interested in trying to do something in Japan with a. You'll probably be aware there's a few, you've got. Fratelli Paradiso, you've got um, Apollo, they through a company called Transit General Office, a management company based in Japan, so I'm trying to sort of, um, I've got a meeting with them in the, in the 28th, so I'm trying to work out how my how I could create a sort of role to help either people from Tokyo coming into the Sydney market, or sort of trying to be instrumental in bringing people that I believe could work, a product that could work in Tokyo over to Japan. Um, but uh, that's kind of where, where I'm at in the industry right now. So back to Japan, have the meeting, and then try and, and then just take it from there, really. Can't see myself getting back into anything, Anthony. Um, really, I, ju- I, ju- I just can't.
1: Tell us about that little period of time back in Australia where you felt that things were a little bit too challenging to to start up a business and you made the move to Japan. Why, why was that? Tell us about that period of time. Yeah, well, look, I, I, I came, I came uh, sort of I, I,
0: the, prior to, to, to sort of going to that just briefly prior I, I was in the resale market which we will talk about and i mean the resale market was it was to build up a cafe and sell it that was the exit it was always the start and the end in mind so i wasn't in there for the long haul um so coming back um i mean everybody in the industry i mean i keep my ear to the ground so everybody in the industry from 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 you know, from the Merivale groups to the Swill House groups to to, to, to Odd Culture groups to what, what John's doing at the public hospitality. It's a different ballgame now for entry into opening something. Even a cafe um, requires a lot of capital now. A lot of capital being borrowed with the high inflation and where interest rates are because interest rates really do play into the hospitality, into everything, but especially the hospitality industry because If you're renting, or you're you have a mortgage, you know in 2010 there was you know one two percent interest rates you're locked in. They are now coming back. People are starting to pay five and six percent interest on their mortgage. That's an average mortgage say is half a million dollars. There was just not enough disposable income for people to go out brunching like they used to pre certainly pre COVID. So my business model to find an opportunity to build something up to then pass it on or, or or sell it just wasn't it's just, i couldn't see a market there now the industry i believe has just sort of been i don't want to use the word control but landlords are favoring people like you know um i'll just take the swill house group for example what anton's doing remarkable him and his brother are doing there they take on a venue in Pitt street you know somebody like me speaking to a landlord there regardless you've got to have momentum i think now in sydney you're never going to get a lease of that caliber or landlords are a little bit more cautious who, who they're dealing with but really food costs labor costs and now the you know labor costs are real or not and it sounds like they're an issue for an operator but they're, they're great for an employee but there's got to be a a balance because um, I, I just feel that the, 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 I, I believe there's no money being made Anthony that's that, that really the crux of it I think I think there's the margins are gone the people the, the, it's a pro you know for for, for Justin at, at the Maryvale group not speaking out of hand it's really much of a property play you know as long as the, the mortgages are being serviced or the loans are being serviced by selling the pizzas and, and all doing great things. You can't do anything. You can't service anything without doing great things. And everybody is doing amazing things. You know, everybody's doing amazing things, but it just doesn't allow single operators like myself to be able to enter the market, to have a little bit, a piece of that. Because I just think now it's sort of, it's been kind of, again, I'm not using the word control, but it's like, you want f- pasta, it's, Palazzo Salato, Ragazzi, all these, you know, Fratelli's. There is institutions that started when I started, like Gio at Fratelli Paradis when they started in 2001 or 2002. Those institutions will always be there. They're doing a great job. They'll always be there. But new entrants, it's just very, very difficult if you don't come with a, a good reputation or a real great following it's very difficult to make make the money and really at the end of the day you've got to make the money because you've got bills to pay and you've got to live yourself and I just can't see individual operators being able to do that I can't even see the groups sort of being able to make make the
1: margins. Well I want to explore all of the um, amazing venues that you've had a hand in over the years but take us back to when you were young first whereabouts did you grow up and what sort of role did food play for you
0: I grew up uh, I grew up in Scotland in a small town called Troon um sort of on the map for hosting the British Open every eight years um a a fairly small town um on 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 the seaside, um, thirty or forty minutes drive south of Glasgow, and uh, Italian father, Scottish mother, hence the name. And uh, food, I suppose, everything was home cooked. The, the, we 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 never ordered in takeaway, and it really wasn't that sort of back then. You know, everybody households cooked. And the food, I suppose, because there was a lack of money uh, in, in, the, in the house, Anthony, a lot of love, but lack of money, um, both parents didn't work, one through an illness, and my mother, my mother kept, had to have an older brother, so my mother, mother mother's a, a loving mother, and uh, everything was home cooked, and uh, sort of lots of what would, briskets, and lots of cheaper cuts of meat. Um, being cooked and and then I remember on on Fridays it was always fish Friday fish fan would come round outside the house and and, you know you'd buy your fish and uh, that that would be thrown into the deep fryer etc. So there was a little bit of an Italian influence but you know my mum would make lasagna with packet bechamel and you know pork instead of beef and things like that Uh, and uh, so, so food did food did play a role but it wasn't significant I don't sort of the only meals that stand out were, were the spread that my mum would make on at Christmas you know with the fish that, uh, which we'd, she would save up for um, you know put money away every week to get that hamper at the end of the year um, you know side of fish and, and the, the turkey and things like that so I just remember the big spreads uh, like like that that were cooked in the house however every summer. Uh, my father was a, a little bit sick growing up and every summer, his he came from a large family, seven brothers and a sister would come over. Um, my, my uncle Dante would drive over with another brother and uh, through France, oh, over the tunnel, da-da-da, and his boot full of... You know, the prosciutto's, the mortadellas, the handmade salamis from the local region he was in, which is Rimini on the Ila Romagna tip of the Adriatic coast, all the wine. And I just remember the boot being open and the, the car boot being open and just seeing all this, oh, delicacies, which would do us, he would come in the summer, which would do us all the way through the winter. So eating like kings uh, until the next summer uh and we would actually go over to italy every summer um and th- th- just that's really when i started to s- sort of see food firsthand and what i mean by that is the rabbits being killed in the back garden by my uncle dante they had a bit of land chickens being 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 sort of killed and, and and hung slit throat hung of the blood sardines being put on the skewers and on the big barbecues and I uh, just remember the smoke filling up in the garden and just zucchinis off the tree. really romantic, but um I wasn't aware until I looked back just how clean the food and how homegrown and and the relationship with other it was a small village outside Rimini um and just the relationship with the the guy who was doing the wine from big vats and the the bartering rabbits chickens for the wine hanging the prosciuttos, making the salamis not being witness to making the tomato sauces but they certainly wasn't coming from a tin um, everything was in jars so looking back I really like I was that, that was they, they were a special two three weeks everything was always cooked and it was always you know piadini all the prosciutto sliced there with a big knife and just you know Properly done salad. Then you've got your pasta. Then you got your meat, um, and then it was always coffee, limoncello, and as the Italians go, you're drinking a little bit of wine at a young age. You're drinking a little bit of coffee in the morning, the biscotti and the coffee. So I think my romanticism with food started in Italy on those summer holidays. Um, we were always a good eaters, my brother and I. So there's nothing we wouldn't eat from the tripe right through to to all the desserts and all the salamis and you know, it, it, so it was. Re- they were the they were the real food memories
1: of of growing up. The trips to Italy, really. Tell us about sort of your first steps into hospitality as a career. What what sort of lured you and what, you know where did you get your foot in the door?
0: Um, what lured me was 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 the need to. Um, to have some pocket money to put some money in my pocket, I quickly got a. Like I, I suppose that's really the the, the, the reason for a, a, a lot of people they go in there, you know, to, to get some pocket money and then it evolves. So, tr- you know, like I've I listened to a lot of the chefs that have been on your, your podcast. They all start as KPs. So fourteen fifteen local town because it was um it was a sort of but it was a destination town. Um, Anthony, in the summer, it was really, you know, it grew tenfold in the summer. So there was a lot of opportunities at KP. Back then, Fourteen, fifteen. it was fine to work. Not legally, I don't know, but certainly. So I was in the kitchens of the local pubs washing pots that were larger than me watching the chefs being burnt and, and just the sort of little buzz of the place and i thought um look I, i'm liking this i don't i don't want to get burnt i like i like the you know doing doing a shift the hard work the praise looking back again the praise that i got for doing such a good job it was instilled and in, instilled in me from my mother you doing a job you do it right you do it properly um and things will come from that so and from then I. I I realized. Look, I've got to get some more money. I want to be front of house because I was always chatting, and people say, "Oh, you're a good talker. You should be out in the front." And uh, did a little bit of um, looking around, and I and I I was still at school at the time. Finished this, finished my school, but always working in the uh, in the KP role until I was sixteen, seventeen, and then I applied for a job at. Um, sort of three three Rosetta restaurant in in again in Trun, um which catered to the American golfers at the time and the Japanese golfers at the time, um, and that was that was an eye opener. So I got a job as a sort of what would you call as a commie, and uh, I was working there for the summer, and we luckily enough we we were doing a banquet um, for. Heightless golf it was a golfing brand as you may know and it was actually an overspill from Turnbury. and one of the assistant uh, the assistant restaurant managers um, Simon Thompson was overseeing the banquet and that uh, pulled me aside at the end of the shift and said look we if we would like to invite you up to turnbury um, we think you 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 have a role with us in in the restaurant we'd provide training etc cetera, etc cetera. so the following month I went up to turnbury did my first shift and turnbury was the light that changed my life it was unbelievable so turnbury back uh, so i was i was 18 at the time so t- 17 18 Turnberry, I that, 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 that one shift at Turnbury in the banquet hall turned into a sort of full-time role after I left school. And they, 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 like the old hotels, they, they have a summer season and they have a winter season. So I arrive up to this beautiful, beautiful hotel on the, on, on the hill there overlooking the Ails of Craig and the golf course and uh, do the banquet, speak to Simon Thompson, get introduced to the maitre d'. Hubella Forge. Um It was owned by the Japanese. The hotel, so um, everything there was no money spared. And uh, I then he, he sat me down and said, "Look, we've got a full time position here for you as a as a sort of runner for the sommelier. Okay, you can stay in the staff accommodation. So fast forward next week, I bring all my stuff up in the staff quarters and uh, do the induction. I got shown all the restaurant and things. And really, Anthony, it was like the Great Gatsby." So to give you an idea of, of, of why it changed my life is staying in the staff quarters with all the chefs and all the waiters, there were f- people from that had just finished winter seasons in San Maris, finished se- 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 seasons in France, Austria, Italians, the French were there, all staff, all kitchen brigade was all international professionals. So when we entered the, um, when I entered into the sort of induction, after the induction, you're set within a team. So you've got a head waiter, assistant head waiter, a chef de rang, a commie de rang, a commie, a wine server, and a runner. And that was one team looking after six tables. Okay, so and hot plates on the hot plates when you go into the restaurant there's a sort of hot servery with all the silver and a hot plate to have all the dishes and, and and how it ran was i would be running down to the cellar with the docket to give to the assistant sommelier who would then serve i then quickly spoke to Hugh and said look I, I prefer to be running in the, i prefer to be with the italians because you find a clique you find a clique in half Italian so the French stuck together the Italian waiter stuck together so I said to Hubert I want to be on the floor more I want to be on the floor he said okay let's do the commie so my role was basically running into a kitchen which the kitchen brigade was of maybe 50 or 60 and they were talking fish corner sauce corner veg corner the larder split into cold larder hot larder it was the size of a football half the size of a football pitch um sauce corner it, meat corner. It was um, I it was another world to me. It was another another world, and I'd be running in there with the silver trays, um, standing on the line. everything smashed in French, and it was all we chef, and that would reverberate into the restaurant. The diners loved it. Um, we're talking heli, you know, oil and gas in Aberdeen was was flowing, so there was big money up there. People coming down in the helicopters landing in front of the hotel. It was just—it was another level, bringing out all you know. For, it was all French cuisine. Um, I get excited talking about it now. Um, coming out with the silver trays, white gloves, my my commie outfit with the silver uh, gold buttons. That the the, the the sort of I can't remember the name. Of it, but there's a name for the, the the things that are on the side of your your jacket. You know, head waiters approach the table. Assistant head waiters. Um, serve the food. The Chef de Rang does the cutlery. Um, it's just that the commies only brought it to the station. So that really opened my eyes to how to serve customers. And three of the five main courses were all Ghiridon work. That's why it was split into. So Chateaubriands, Dover Soul, Steak Tartare, all done at the Ghiridon or at the side of the table, which is coming into fashion now. In Sydney, all the crepe Crusette, the cherries... Banana flambe, the sort of cherry, cherry jubilees. It was just amazing. And then guests would then go into a different room for the Petit fours and, and the coffee and tea service. And uh, just the camaraderie, Anthony, because after you'd finished your service at sort of um, 12 at night, um, you'd go back to the staff accommodation, it'd be, you know, we'd gather all the the bread little bits of offcuts of steak tartare chateaubriand a little bit of fish the mongs too from all the silver service of the vegetables roast and then there's little bits of wine left and you know great reds the great whites and we'd all go into the the staff court and the Italians we'd eat together and we'd get little bits of this it was just amazing and um in listening to their stories where they had been and looking at the photos of the Hotels that they had just came through and worked that developed a real deep passion of this industry is for me, and I I, re, I, I really enjoyed it. I was there for a full year. Um, I knew this is what I wanted to do front of house. I knew it because I think a little bit of support from the the the, the saw something in me that he made me enter a competition and things like that, that for, for waiter of the year and things but, uh, but he must have saw something in that instilled a little bit of more confidence in me that I thought this is what I want to do um, but I knew that uh, I, yeah I had to I had but I, I, yeah I, I knew it was hard work Anthony and I knew it wasn't going to last forever because the you know people you've got a camarade of friends and and they do either a summer season or both a summer and a winter but highly unlikely they'll do the winter in Scotland because they want to go where the sunshine is so a lot of them went to the Caribbean mainly the chefs went to the Caribbean but a lot of the waiters went back to Austria or saint Maurice for a snow season and you start to think well you know, I'm going to change, and 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 when I got a job back in uh, back to where I originally started in Trun the Three Rosetta Restaurant, I thought, no, this is not. I need to get out of here. So from that, I. Um, I reckon I was always sort of—I wouldn't call it an entrepreneur at that time—but I, I, you know, I was doing things at school, selling things at school, that, that, that sort of to, to provide money. And I—I I, I quickly recognised there was a gentleman who would come in um, to Turnberry who had just started a mobile phone company in Scotland, and mobile phones were taking off. And he loved fudge at the Pettyfer Station. He would always say to me, and I would—I would get his jacket. Um, when he was when he, he actually lived in Trin in one of the big houses in Trin and I would get his jacket Richard Emanuel, his name was and uh, I would slip a little bit of fudge in his jacket and uh, he, next week he would come because they all liked their tables you know they've got sort of the 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 the, the, the cartoon guy who's on doing the cartoon stuff on BBC and you've got all the the biggest builder in Scotland there at table one and table four and they all like their tables and as Richard was coming up in the business world he was on table five so he's in my sort of in the table of the six tables that we would service and he said to me um that's fantastic what you're doing you're gonna you would get you would make a great salesman I've got a mobile phone company, blah, blah, blah. I said, yeah, I know, Richard, the waiters talk about you. You showed me what you do, da, da, da. He said, why don't you come up on Monday and have an interview, da, da, da. So I went up and basically, long story short, I got the job and there was seven stores or whatever. So I started selling mobile phones. Again, my life has been quite lucky with timing. Mobile phones were taking off. There was a lot of commission in it, saved up a lot of money. And then I went, I applied for a visa to Australia and... Got uh, went got out of here basically, and, and that's when I came to Sydney in the millennium, in two thousand. Were you surprised by Australia when you landed here? I was. I, I um was I uh, well, the thing again, a bit of luck, Anthony. I, I, when I was selling so many phones, I had there was an Australian girl who was doing it, who's the Sydney University and doing an exchange at Glasgow, and she got a part time job doing all the contract works, just doing all the sort of paperwork, and. Uh, I sort of had. We got on very, very well. She said, "Why don't you come to Australia?" And that's what motivated me to think, oh, "Okay, yeah, I'll come to Australia." Uh, so when I arrived, she was actually living in Balmain. So I was very lucky that I was coming to a city that, a city that only one K from the city centre of all the action that, that where she was she was living. So again, I was very lucky. I'm not saying that people living out in the sticks, but she could have been living out the sticks It would have been a different i would have i wouldn't have lasted a year i would have lasted six months and said look this isn't happening but luckily enough she was in it was, she was actually living in roselle with her parents and uh so it was a great great time um so yeah when i came anthony i just thought wow going over the anzac bridge looking at the harbour bridge i just thought gosh where am i what is a boy from trun doing here right <laughs> um uh, so I, I i very clearly remember i arrived on the 2nd of january just after the millennium and uh i remember just again this the, from from a very young age the need to earn my own money because there's no money in the house i picked up the sydney morning herald and that's when where we all the jobs were advertised saw a job for a coffee cart um uh, went for the interview it was at the back of oxford clothing on in paddington he had a cafe there mark whittingham um had a, had a had a cafe at the back they went for the interview he had a coffee cart at the university of new south wales which is an absolute institution way before his time he, mark actually went to america saw what david Schumer was doing with specialty coffee and said i'm i'm having a bit of this uh and opened up a coffee cart outside the library lawn um so I got a job there Monday morning I, you know he was saying to me we're making coffee and I said yeah yeah fine so I arrive Monday morning at this coffee cart already the lines you know 14 deep and I was just a bit like that Turnberry moment Anthony where I just thought wow what's going on what are they doing with this coffee what is that tamper what what are they doing here this is more than coffee gosh and I developed a deep passion for coffee um and i i'd worked on that coffee cart for one year um but the but again just back in the 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 training um was three months on the till three months on the shots three months on the milk and three months pouring um not like you know so it was a real exercise because we were outside you've got a You know, manipulate with the humidity for the grinder, etc. etc. So I just developed a real passion for coffee and was reading everything about it and just heavily, heavily into it. Realized there was sort of some, some, there was definitely money involved in in the coffee. There was good margin. And it was always a business angle for me, Anthony. It's because of my upbringing. It was never, yes, I was passionate about the product and you have to be, I think, and the dollars follow that. But it was always, There was had to always, and I don't mind. I don't mind admitting it, but it was always this need to make some money. Um, And I thought this is a great, it's an unqualified. So this is a great entry
1: um, to 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 maybe do something on my own. Well, well, that um, experience with coffee triggered um, you know a whole decade for you with with around eight venues. But tell us about your first coffee bar that you opened. That sort of began all that. Okay, so my, my, my,
0: my mentor, really, um, who, who, was a good friend, who was a good friend, Sean Demacoli, he was working on the coffee cart. He taught me everything, all the techniques. He instilled a bit of passion in me. After one year, I said to Sean, let's open up something. So in Roselle, there was a, a shop for at least an Italian restaurant I had gone out of business. I, I spoke to the owner. No agent, just a number on the on on the a mobile phone number on the window. I met Peter, who I'm still in contact with today, and I said we want to open up a cafe. blah, blah, blah. So um, we opened up. We op- Sean and I opened up, and uh, during the process of opening up, uh, sort of he gave us three months rent free. So I'm st- I'm learning. I'm taking all this in. Not at the moment, but you know, having rent free periods and things. I'm taking all this in, and I um. So Sean and I opened up our, verse, our first venue called Piccolo Padre. The venue's still there today, but it's a different, different name. And, uh, you know, opened up with all night painting, all, all the sort of, you know, I was listening to what Toby was doing there at the Wedge and, uh, you know, sort of similar idea, not really knowing what you're sort of doing, but we knew that there was not a lot of operators doing the level of coffee that we were doing at the coffee cart that we could bring to Roselle. To give you an idea, so Toby Smith was just opened up in William Maloney's his mum's garage. There was um, coffee tea and me in Ranwick, who uh, an older gentleman who was in, instrumental in, in, in the coffee industry, which nobody, not a lot of people would know, but a lot of people at Toby's in my age would, would know. Um, there was a Scottish guy Campos Coffee Andy MacArthur so Will hadn't even taken over um, taken over Campos yet so and Will would come every day to Piccolo so we opened up Piccolo Padre realised we had something um, and and, and basically Sean looked after the the coffee I looked after the food and the food at that time uh, uh, there was just basically five sandwiches again taking something that Mark was doing in his cafe at the back of Oxford clothing when we had the, the coffee cart he was just doing very high quality sandwiches using a good supplier Kirk's, who are still around today. So high quality pestles, high quality gruyere cheese, and good quality ham. So we basically did we did five sandwiches, two meat, two fish and one veg, all on Turkish Turkish bread. And that was going fantastically well. Eight months in Sean's father, sort of, who was looking after the books, had said, Oh, boys, you know, you should be doing a wee bit of scrambled eggs and doing a bit of pancakes. And I sort of said, You know, I, he was in his son's ear, and Sean was sort of then eventually saying to me, Why don't we try something? I said, Sean, it's not really. Why don't we just open another venue like this, replicate what we've got here? So just a bit of disgruntleness crept in with my, his father and I, and John wasn't part of the business, it was his son. And he, so eventually, Sean, uh, John sat me down one day and said, listen, I'm going to write you a cheque for your 50%. Of the business, uh, and he wrote me a check, and uh, I accepted it. That's fine. And uh, then I'm learning again. I didn't realise there's a resale market. I thought you just operate the cafe, and you know maybe it closes down or you get fed up or whatever. Um, but so you know, learning from that experience, I learned about a lease rent free periods, what, what your increases in rent, and, and actually there's a resale market here. So I took that and then opened up my my first on my own just down the road um, because again just learning again there's no competing clauses and things like that so I then opened up my first cafe and that um, that's where my first employee was Lizzie who was head chef at Alberto's Lounge um, who you interviewed and, and she, she had just finished school uh, in Annandale and uh, she became my first employee and fr- fr- from that but from that business I started to sort of same format Andrea, so it was the five sandwiches but from that I was then sniffing around saying where can I get better bread so I would go to Leichhardt bakery um, at sort of five in the morning and get the fresh focaccia from the Italians there and then uh, from that from talking with those Italians and going in there and they would sometimes ha- Deliver the bread to me, and say, oh, but, but what are you doing? There? Why don't you go and see Mario at IGA in Haverfield?" I thought, "IGA, oh, I right, got so there that my relationship with the IGA started. So I was getting all my cured meats and cheese from the IGA, all my pestles from Kirk. So using current infrastructure, and I was assemb- and Lizzie would come in, and Elizabeth would come in, and, and, and assemble the five sandwiches, and we were selling." I don't know, 200 sandwiches a day, easy. And yeah, unbelievable. But back then, Anthony, there wasn't a lot of people around doing that in the suburbs really, um, in the inner west. Okay. I didn't really know what was going on outside in the eastern suburbs, etc. But well I did. There wasn't really much going on there. But so that was the kind of that that and that format was a very simple coffee machine grinder. Do a little bit of the a little bit creativity in the fit out. Put in this stellar sandwiches at the right price point. You know, back then I was doing coffee and sandwich for $7.50 and uh with them uh, yeah yeah with uh, with the, with the exit in mind that i would sell the business and where again just a learning experience after selling the business to sean half the business to sean's father i realized that after a letter from we had a company there after a letter from the ato saying you need to lodge a bash return and things like that i, I, I found an accountant and the accountant uh recommended I read a book da 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 so I read this book and realized that if you held the if you held an asset for 12 months in one day so longer than 12 months if you sold that asset then you you would get a discount if you're turning over a million dollars or less you would get a, disc, a 50% discount and capital gains tax at that time is 25% so I thought 12.5% tax even if I'm selling a business for, for say I sold poppies for say 150,000 right back then and I thought well you're getting a discount but then there was a loop that if you rolled your gain so if you rolled that sale price into the next cafe then you don't pay anything until you finish you eventually finish the, the business and then you pay a capital gains tax on the end result so I thought gosh I can be using that gain to open up another cafe sell this one open up another one and continue the format and that's and that's pretty much what I did Um, and I started having a bit of a relationship with an agent and a town planner see it's all real business it's business rather than the sort of the I knew the food would I knew that I would eventually be caught caught not out but caught up with with other operators coming in and offering the eggs and you know Bertoni's weren't around back then or anything like that so by the time people did come around and offering the eggs and sit down I knew by then I had to move quick. So I, I basically just did the format, copy and paste, I opened something, put it on the market after eight months and found a buyer and did the contract for the twelve months and two days or thirteen months. They they came in and I'd already had another another venue under negotiating under negotiation and I had a town planner who worked for Leichhardt Council, who then became private, and all his applications were quickly put through because he had a good reputation. So it was very, it was quite smooth where I find a site from the agent who had a good reputation. I was paying my rent on time, etc., bring in Bruce, who was a town planner, get it all approved for food, operate, then sell. And I did five in Balmain. So I had a bit of a reputation for you know good quality but also a reputation for that i was selling so i actually had after the third one people lined up from when i opened we want to buy the business when you're selling it so it was again just very very lucky at those times interest rates were low you know inner west was was exploding the house prices were exploding people were borrowing against and just living the life so it was again timing was everything for me and uh, rolled them out, did that until, and then 2000, and uh, I did my last one in 2011, sorry, 2010, um, where I had two at the time called Papercut, one in Stanmore, and one back in Lilyfield after doing Glebe. And, and, and well, I opened up Glebe in 2008, and that's when Toby opened up Wedge, 2008, 2009. He opened up the Wedge, uh, and he was saying that it was easy back then, so you can imagine what it was like prior to that. It was really fruitful times um and i think after the gfc that's when banks stopped lending to people looking to buy a cafe after one year of trading so the business model sort of kind of stopped um and i i didn't want to do a cafe for i didn't want to make it my life career so that's when i thought okay time's up
1: Your life changed quite dramatically in 2010. You were diagnosed with stage three brain cancer. Tell us about that period of time and the impact it had on you. Gosh, that that period of time. Well, I had just had Natsu, my daughter,
0: January the 7th she was born. lost my mother at 58 in 2009 Um, and just bought a house in Marrickville and that was the fruits of the labor and... uh, just it was traumatic. Woke up, ambulance had a seizure in the middle of the, in the middle of the night. Um, taken to the hospital. Da da da. They've MRI, CT scans, and, and was brain tumour. So I had private healthcare. Thank the Lord. Quickly quickly into RPA. Jeffrey Brennan, great surgeon. Everything came out left the field with a diagnosis because when I was in there, um, Anthony, when I was when this when the MRI came back and the 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 the, the, the tumor was there, the sort of the, the, the diagnosis was, oh look, this is a this is not this is benign. We're absolutely sure of it. He was the chairman of the Australasian neurosurgeons at the time. I've canvassed your case to the, all, the rest of the neurosurgeons. We, we, there's a shadow over it. Blah blah blah. Left the field came out of the operation. it was it was, it was that was a stage three speak to a radio-oncologist what's the life expectancy of somebody with a radio oh this is like it's an anaplastic astrocytoma they call it and it's like an octopus and uh about 18 months most people okay no worries at all and uh, from that day I never went back to see the radio oncologist she didn't believe in me I saw a McDonald wrapper in her, in, her, in her I'd been doing some reading about sugars and things like that prior to prior to after the diagnosis after uh, actually after after them saying that there's a tumor in the brain I, I started reading about food and that's another affair I had with food but on a from a medical perspective I never went back to see the radio oncologist because she's given me a diagnosis that I'm not agreeing with and in her waist bin was Sugary drinks and, and and things that I've been reading are just a no no. So um, that's when we decided to move to Japan um, f- to sort of just for a uh, to immerse to myself in the in this sort of macrobiotic kind of diet over there the cold press juicing, onsen water, high sulfur, saunas. So my relationship with food completely changed. It was a hundred percent organic diet, which still is today. I'm not saying it's a hundred percent because in different countries is quite difficult but chemical free as much as possible cold press juicing positive thinking just all the just really going into my own self and uh i i I, you know had an mri and mri every six months and unexpectedly you know a a japanese doctor and uh he sort of said this is you know this is this, this this is um this is good. This is good. There's, the hole is there. That's the hole. Da, da, da. And every six months, it was fear going in for the MRI, fear for the going back down to the the, the, the the doctor to to see what was going on. Another reason, Anthony, just to go back a couple of steps. Another reason why I moved to Sydney is I got a great surgeon, but getting follow-up MRIs, even somebody with with, and this is another topic, but with with a stage three, you know life expectancy of under two years it was still eight weeks to get an mri and i've got private health in, insurance and then another another six weeks to get the results i go to japan anthony i get it i don't even need a, an appointment i go there my neurosurgeon's there and i get i get an mri upstairs and he's watching it downstairs half an hour later I'm in his office he's showing me it right so i needed that sort of attention so and uh so yeah and it's it's thankfully it's 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 been over 10 years now and uh, it's a good if it's over 10 years but just on a caveat don't I, 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 I don't enter into those thoughts but the brain cancer unfortunately it's not it's not researched enough but it's it's it it, it has nowhere to go if it comes back you see, and the, I declined chemotherapy at the time, but I took the radiotherapy. So that's why I have have no hair on a particular part of my, my head and I just shave it. I declined chemotherapy um, just through my readings. And that's just a personal choice. And anybody listening to this, it's just, you know, you've got to take the advice and, 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 and do what you think is right. But I declined that. And, and, and for me, I think it was the right choice. And I've healed myself through sort of just well-being, positive positive thinking but in a different you know just in a whole different spectrum but really the food the food what I'm putting in my body and that's just a belief that I stick with. The brain is so powerful and it could be the food but my belief that it is those reasons is I think is powerful enough to to stay on that track of of it of it sort of my body puts it there. I have a belief that the body can also remove it and stop it coming back. Um, so I always refer to it as a chronic illness. I never refer to it as the C word. I don't like the R word as remission. Uh, this isn't a medical podcast, but, you know, I just, I'm passionate about that, um, Anthony. Uh, so,
1: yeah, it was, it was a tough time. What, what sort of impact has this had on your approach to business and uh, the business of food and hospitality? Do you approach things differently as a result of this?
0: I, 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 I,
1: I convinced, I,
0: I did tell myself I had to slow down, okay, but also part of the healing process that I have to have inner, inner happiness, and nothing makes me more happy than the hospitality industry. And I define the hospitality industry, Anthony, as we are here, I've chosen this career, I'm here to serve you, okay, and that that, that also goes into why I wouldn't come back into the Sydney market when I did, right? Because I need to charge the prices that I wouldn't pay myself. And there's other reasons why they're charging, but I, I really I'm, I'm I'm not too, I don't really care about those reasons. We're here to serve people. It's the profession that I have the good times will come back again as interest rates go down, the good times, you know, all these people with, you know, but it's hospitality for me. So it's something I, 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 I made me extremely happy. So I had to go back into it. But I couldn't come back into a competitive field because, again, I believed that in Sydney, I got sick. So it would be. It would be. It wouldn't fit into my thinking of coming back to do something in Sydney because that was the place that I got sick within that hospitality industry. So I didn't. So I. I, I then started looking to do something in in Scotland, my hometown, because really I can only do. I've got a Aussie passport and a UK passport, so really I can only go two places. So I started looking back in Scotland, and and that's when. After five years, that's when I started. I opened my first first sort of coffee roastery up in Glasgow, and from then on, I opened several more. Um, But but to answer the question, did it change? Um, It 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 did. But I'm a workaholic, Anthony. It is what it is for me. But it but it was a much easier life and much easier it was much easier in, 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 in Scotland in terms of, I have a lot of experience. So without you knowing it, you're bringing that experience to a market that's, that, that's a little bit immature in terms of, you know, how to execute things. And, and really that's all all I did. I was just bringing a bit of Sydney to Glasgow really. And, and it worked and I was able to, with a <laughs> low staff costs, I was able to, to, to hire people and, uh, not not take my foot off the pedal but not 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 be there i'm there but not intense like oh you know micromanaging everything which is an absolute weakness of mine it's why i could never do more than one at a time it's an absolute weakness um but so it did change my approach in terms of i wasn't going back to sydney to do it that's where i got sick and that was a belief but i needed to be in the hospitality industry because I, i i i love it i just love serving people and it sounds crazy but I reference, Morris Terzini, he's a waiter, I'm a waiter, this is what we do, we serve people and make them happy and part of that serving is I've got to deliver, I, I want to serve everybody, I want everybody to have that magical experience and the price points we were at in Sydney is just not favourable for what I would like to do, it's
1: just not favourable, I can't. I can't be doing it, I can't go back into that market. Uh, at the top of the show, you mentioned that you're in Japan at the moment. What's exciting you about the opportunities there?
0: Oh, Anthony, you know, <laughs> gosh. I mean, I'm very biased towards Japan. I I, I love their approach to, the, to, to food. And uh, I was just listening to the, the, the podcast last night. Just briefly, I was in the, in the, in the, in the, having a bath and uh, I can't remember the gentleman's name. Um, but he, he was just he was just in Japan or one of the podcasts that I downloaded I don't know if it was your latest one, but he was just in Japan he was, he was talking he, and then I said I said I'll, I'll have to look him up and see look at his Instagram see where he was in Japan da da. da. but um, Japan just has that uh, uh, that sort of approach where they will open say a ramen venue and that's their life that's it. this is what we're going to do and because that's their approach and that's what their they, you know it is their life, work they want to do that they don't want to they're not interested in selling they're not interested in doing it for a short period of time they really research and they really they'll make the noodles they'll find the best flour for for that but distill the water for the the stock it just really the the approach is really what i like the absolute micromanagement of every little detail um i just I, i i I enjoy that. I like that. Um, I just like the the organisation of the country in general. Um, I just think that in in terms of opportunities and also I just think Tokyo in particular, um, there's now this sort of idea that, uh, I mean, Bill, God rest his soul, was absolutely instrumental in bringing the sort of Australian, not, not just the brunch, but the Australian way of dining to Tokyo with his first site in Kamakura through the Transit General Office Management Company, and then he's gone on to open up five in, in Japan, and uh, and and then really, Bill, I'm sure he was in the ear of um, the president of Transit General Office to then bring Giovanni and his brother and business partner at the time to Japan, also, and then from there bringing Apollo and Long Green and you know, so um, uh, the, 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 so that the there is an opportunity with bringing western style product to japan but also the japanese way of doing things is really I just believe the best French food is in Japan the best Italian food is in Japan the best Asian food is in Japan I just believe it Um, people may go there for a holiday and get a little bit of you know Shinjuku Shibuya go down to Kyoto Horishima over to Osaka but then when they go back for the third and fourth time they start to really See underneath, and really see that it's really in depth ingrained in the culture to do things to perfection or as well as you can. And by default, you're doing it, you're almost trying to reach perfection. And I just like that. I just like it. Price points are good as well. Um, They're not, not, you know, they're, they're, they're,
1: they're, yeah, yeah. So, everything's quite favorable to do. You know, to do something over there. Um, well, I know we've only um, skimmed the surface of your amazing life in food, but um, what do you love about what you do? See,
0: I, I, I serving, serving, back in the, it's definitely serving people. Like 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 I've said there, I just like putting a smile on people's face. I like being able to deliver a product of a very high class, whether it's a, a toasted sandwich or, or, or a coffee or. a... Or you know, had a trattoria in 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 Glasgow. Whether it was a, a bowl of gnocchi, gorgonzola, but just like serving, just putting a smile on people's face. I know that's cliche, but it's it it, it and just doing everything to a high high level um, from the Turnberry days. I I enjoy that. But see, as I'm getting older, Anthony, I I I think like many people end up doing and a lot of chefs on your on your podcast also mentoring other like their call me chef or you know the chef the parties and the mentoring is that I think I have a, a lot of experience within this very small field of, of sort of cafe but cafe business side also that I would like to sort of pass that pass that on there's very many good operators in, in, in Sydney right but I just think um, where where I, you know, knowing that that's what I want to do, I, I then I say, where, where, where's my niche? Where, where, what can I do? And I think Japan might be an opportunity for me to, because I know exactly, what, I know what's going on in Sydney. I, I really keep my ear to the ground. I know what's going on in Sydney. Um, and when I was last over there, I was, I, was I, I took a delivery job with with the AP Bakery and and, and seeing what Dougal's doing there in the bakery. And from that, I was wholesaling and you know I was selling I was delivering bread into and it kept I did that to keep one because I'm an early riser and I wanted to do my, my 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 day over at night nine at nine, nine in the morning. But being able to see what's going on, you know, with with just going into the bit just having a look just you know just really keep my eye my eye open and uh, and i think that maybe i could be sort of a liaison person to bring a particular particular um, types of cuisine over to japan um, and maybe with my contact here in in in, in, in korea maybe also next to seoul um, i'm down in busan at the moment which is a second biggest city but still a a long way to go before before it um, before it really kicks off. But certainly, I can. I'd like to. I'd like to carve that sort of rollout um, where I can sort of liaise with the Japanese and liaise with the Koreans, saying this potentially could work here, this potentially could work there, and so I, I, I'm sort of trying to carve my rollout like that. I think um but eventually eventually ramen is my uh my passion and uh, eventually I know for sure I'll be coming back to Sydney to do something eventually um and that's what I would like to eventually do is a very very Japanese um little ramen bar but uh but that but before that I I'd, I'd, I'd like to try and help out some uh Australian people to come over to to Japan and potentially career so just trying to carve out a not even a consultant not even for the not, not even thinking about the dollars Anthony not at all I'm just it's, again it's that helping just trying to trying to help because navigate navigate because everybody Japan's really um, a lot of Australians are coming over they've always been over for the skiing and I just feel um that there should be more australian operators that that can fit into what tokyo is missing um that could do very well over there and also not not just do well for you know how fun would it be you've got japan like giovanni has experienced the japanese staff coming over to to Fratelli and vice versa and how much fun that would be for the for the operators and and how proud it would be Sort of I'd feel by by sort of being part of helping that relationship, um, so that that that's that's sort of where my my sort of focus is is to try and really carve out um, a, a niche where there's a role to be played
1: um, with liaising with 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 Australian operators to come over. Well, Adriano, I, I know there's so much more to talk about, but um, we'll, have to, we'll have to catch up again. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on Deep in the Weeds to hear just a part of your story. Um, please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. Thanks, Anthony. Have a great day. Cheers, mate. Bye-bye. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep.